for the win. Maybe you're feeling like that right now in quarantine. I rage, I melt, I burn. Um, unbelievable recit uh, by Handel. And anytime someone's like, oh, Handel, show them that. Like, get lit. That's like that's like hardcore, like, like ugh. I, I, I can't believe I'm defending Handel, but it's true. That's epic music. Um, fantastic. Well, look, uh, welcome to Hook, Push, and Pray. My name is Nicholas Brownlee, and um, that is who I hope to sing like one day. It may never happen. Now, what I find interesting that I'll tell you first is when I was looking for, you know, because I, I sort of go back and forth on, on what's going to be our play-in music, um, because legally, like, I should use under a minute, you know? And um, it's hard to find like a minute of like big epic opera music. And so today I was like, oh, I love this piece. This will be my first one. So I go to YouTube and I play it right before I do this just to get myself lit. And so I realize where it comes in and then I edit it all together. Uh oh, behind the curtain a little much. Um, so that's what happens. And so uh, the first comment on this, the first comment on Bryn Turfel singing like that, that clean, that huge, that extraordinary, low, like a low F just low-key, low-F, like dirty mouth, like incredible. The first and only comment on this YouTube video is, apparently basses and baritones don't sing anymore. They just grunt and groan. <sighs> Woof. Um, don't read the comments. <laughs> For Christ's sakes, don't read the comments. Anyways... Welcome to the show, you guys. Welcome to a, a little oasis from quarantine, as it were. And just imagine that you're sitting next to me in my living room, uh, which is absolutely destroyed by my three-year-old. Uh, we have so much new quarantine art on the walls. We're choosing to ch to um, to proactively encourage the quarantine art because it makes things a little bit better. Um, but there is... Uh, we're, we're leaning very abstract these days. So there are little four by four abstract, um, marker paintings, renderings, I would say, uh, from three-year-old hands everywhere in our house. But imagine you're there and you're looking at, uh, the sun and the moon. They look eerily the same. And for some reason they're in green. Um, but imagine you're there with me, you're sitting next to me and we're just hanging out. Cause that's what I want us to, to feel like this is. So Took me two and a half minutes to get to our guest today. That's probably too long uh, by the book, but I'm going to hit 16 all day long. You know what I mean? That's from the blackjack people out there. So uh, today's guest is Alex Fletcher. Alex Fletcher is awesome. Um, Alex Fletcher is a, a artist manager. He's had um, Fletcher artists since 2009, 2010, um, and he has consistently had a roster that I, I, along with a number of people in the business, have really respected. Uh, he has a great cross cut of like, like uh, 
like OG sort of like salt of the earth singers and uh, new up and comers and then people who are just working and just grinding and like doing good work, good singers, good people, uh, which matters a lot as you'll hear in this interview. Um, and and just Alex himself, it's so interesting because there's not a person on his roster who I don't enjoy as a person and a singer. And so it's so clear how he got there um, because he's, I enjoy him so much as a person. So we talk about a lot of things, but something so interesting is the fact that we talk about uh, how much personality matters, um, and and uh, sort of how much how much uh, the the intangibles, you know, opera is opera, singing is singing. There's a lot of good singers out there, but what are the other things that you have? Um, the uh, yeah, in sports we call them intangibles, like the you know everybody can read an offense, everybody can do that, but at some point it becomes instinctual. Uh, I miss sports. Can you tell? So Alex Fletcher. On the show today, we'll get uh, at the end. Uh, I'll just do a, a couple of. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. At the end, I will of this intro. I'll do a couple of things. So first, I want to say, uh, how you holding up? Like, how's it going? Um, I can tell you that uh, we're doing really well. We are so grateful and so thankful beyond belief to the fact that this country that we live in, Germany, is is honors the arts in the way that it does. And I know a lot of people who are working in Germany right now might roll their eyes as soloists because it hasn't done a great job taking care of the non-contracted, non-fest people, um, but it's doing better. Uh, but I have to say, Germany has been great through this. We are still being paid by our theater um, and doing some stuff for them, consulting with online stuff and stuff. But nonetheless, like um, they are holding to their agreement, and I appreciate that so much. Um, I don't know if this happened before last episode or not, but OTSL was canceled. Susanna uh, was canceled this summer, and OTSL handled it beautifully. And if I did say it in last week's episode, which I'm believing I did right now, it's worth saying again, um, and they're going to compensate us, which is fantastic. Um, so there's a lot of companies sort of doing it in the right way. And um, I, I just want to, I wanted, I, it may seem like opera is never going to be a thing again, right? It may seem like it's dead. Um, it may seem like, oh my gosh, like the world is ending and to a degree, like it is like, dude, let's, let's not be, um, let's not be foolish. Let's not throw blind eyes at this and just assume it's going to come back and be amazing. But I can tell you what's been so uplifting to me, you know, cause we're always watching the news, right? We're just waiting on people to be like, oh, all of a sudden there, here's a vaccine, the fastest vaccine in human history that's ever been created was four years. Uh, so like, could it happen in two? Sure. But like, I, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but like we're always watching news for something hopeful and, and, and that's probably not going to be the case. But what I can tell you, I take solace in and what I take an immense amount of joy from is the content that everyone is creating. Um, bored singers are dope as hell. And, and I think that's what we're finding out. You know what I mean? Like you get a bored singer and they're going to do magic stuff. And, uh, I was talking with, we, we had a, uh, a content creating meeting at the Dallas Opera Network, which I'll get into in a second. Um, and Mike Mays uh, sort of said it best when he said, um, you're learning what all of these singers have. Like you're learning all these weird skills that singers have and how multifaceted they are. And uh, people are turning themselves into into filmmakers and into recording artists and into you know doing all this really cool stuff. And I've really enjoyed seeing that. Um, because I've always felt this way. I've always felt like, um, 
everyone wants transparency, right? And I think this is, goes to how we're going to move forward. Everyone talks a big deal about transparency in today's landscape, right? Everyone wants to know what their favorite actors eat, and they want to see their houses. And it's sort of started, funny enough, for me, my journey with that was like Cribs. Uh, on MTV. Remember Cribs? Cribs, best show on the planet, uh, where like these rappers and these celebrities would bring you into their homes and you're like, holy shit, this is unparalleled access. Like, because Cribs was sort of pre-internet in that way. Well, everything's pre-internet in Alabama. My parents still don't have Wi-Fi, but it's a different story for a different day. But um, you sort of like that unprecedented access to precedented access to this person um, who you admire a lot. And it was really cool to see like their cars outside and their all, blah, blah, blah. It's really cool. And so that was sort of my first genesis in it. And that is, I've always been fascinated by pulling up the curtain. And I've always said, you know, if you're going to raise the curtain, if you're going to let people see the how the sausage is made, like, really let them. Because as soon, like, as soon as you start to curate that experience, people smell the bullshit immediately, especially millennials. I think millennials get a bad rap most of the time, maybe because I fall in them, and probably all of you do too, um, with the exception of Alex, uh, who better be listening because this is your episode. <laughs> Got him. Um, but, uh, you know, we're all millennials, and so I, we have a, the one cool thing that millennials have is we have an incredible bullshit meter. The re, we sniff it out, and part of that's because of scams on the internet and because of the way we grew up, and we, and it, and we tend to be a little bit pessimistic and a little bit... Um, a little bit not a uh, little I don't want to say we're just less gullible than any generation so far and so I think that that's really cool and so um we smell that and so if you're going to pull the curtain have something cool to say and what's been really cool is that everyone's like we're all in this together we're all quarantined like opera you know we might as well just double down on opera being like this cool thing and like we just unmask it completely and I really love that. And I think moving forward, like, there's going to be a lot more of that, right? And so it's in that, sort of in that vein that I that I would like to talk to you now about, like, the Dallas Opera Network and, like, what we're doing with that. And so the TDO Network is started by um, David Lomelli and the Dallas Opera sort of to sort of provide opera content in the same way that a major network does, right? Provide opera content. And so like, if you go to MSNBC, you can see Rachel Maddow talk about it. You can see blah, blah, blah talk about it. You can see Chris Maddow, whatever. But if you go to your network, you can see takes. Uh, they're all talking about the same thing, right? Trump's the worst or whatever, yeah? And uh, they're right. And <laughs> and they're all talking about the same thing, but they all have their own angles and their own approaches to it, right? And and so that's sort of the idea of TDO Network in the, in the sort of, the mass agenda, at least that's how the way I like to think about it. The mass agenda of us is sort of like mindful opera, like opera moving forward. And we have seen 18 to 44 demographic, the the, the beholded, the beloved demographic that opera companies have been trying to get butts in seats, 18 to 44 years old for literally since the invention, like Monteverdi's Orfeo, the front of house was like, ugh, but there's no one 18 to 44. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, but we've been trying to get 18 to 44 uh, demographic forever, and we're seeing such engagement in that. Now, what does that parallel into? Does that parallel into major donors giving millions of dollars? No. But if there's 6,000 donors giving a million each, or there's 600,000 giving 
you know, a thousand each, like that, now we're starting to do something. And now we're starting to create a movement. And I know that this all sounds far-fetched. You might be rolling your eyes and saying, Nick, oh, you sweet, sweet, innocent little boy. That's never going to happen. I disagree. I disagree. I think that, um, you know, as we move forward in this and as what we're finding in the TDO network, we have Dana Brewick, Mike, Mike Mays has a show. We have an awesome diversity show um, uh, about diversity in the field and in opera and how you bring that in, led by incredible guests, Kristen Oha. Um, we have uh, Susan Vinnick with the Opera Diva. We have Isabel, Isabel Leonard, who's on doing like private coachings every week, but she's letting you watch them. Like it's just really cool stuff that's happening. And I think people are tuning in because they love the craftsmanship of it. They love the interesting angle and we're starting to get those people. And so I think in the fall when opera happens again, yes, it'll happen again. Maybe it's in the fall, maybe it's in the spring, who knows? But when we get that again, we have to parlay this, you guys. We have to move. I, I, I'm preachy and I'm monologuing. I'm so sorry if you want to skip to the interview. I understand. But like, I think this stuff is important um, because we have to parlay that into butts and seats. And I actually think that it will. And so in, in a certain sense, this is our, let's rewrite the script, right? Like Brene Brown is like, you know, we we shouldn't go back to normal because there was never a normal because normal was only normal for uh, white rich people. And she's so right, right? She's so right. Like it wasn't normal for the disenfranchised. It wasn't normal for a black person. It wasn't normal for, you know, my sister, my poor sister with three mixed babies, you know, like it wasn't normal. Right. And so uh, my sister's doing really well for herself. Now I'm very, very proud of her uh, for the record. Um, But like, you know, it's like, it's like, that's, that's the thing. Like for a single mom, like it's not normal. It's not normal to live paycheck to paycheck and have to be on food stamps, even though you're making, uh, you know, a, a great salary, but you still can't make ends meet like, cause you get taxed so hard or whatever, you know? And so I think that is what we need to lean into in opera. And so I will encourage all of you, like keep making the content and listen, if you're not in the mood to make it, if you can't bear to open a score, I get you. I understand, but I want to say something and, and not mince my, mix my words here. Like, do not bring down the people who are. And I think that's super important. Now, you may think that they're inauthentic, and they might very well be, but they're authentic to someone. And I think that if you don't enjoy their content, unsubscribe for them, and you don't have to watch it. But I think bringing down others in our industry who are actively trying to do something, who are actively trying to to, to keep the narrative going and to keep opera in the minds of people and to keep it as a as a as an important product that's pushing out, like just be mindful of not bringing those people down um, because we're just out there trying our hardest y'all. And we're just, we really are putting in so much effort. And um, so all my colleagues creating Bravo, all of those not creating all good, baby. It's all good. Um, I totally get it. I totally understand the fog you're in right now and the, the sort of creation fog that you're in. I get it, but let's not bring each other down. I think is what I'm saying. Like let's lift each other up. And if you have notes, if you have things to make it better, I can tell you on all my content, I encourage it. DM me. Be like, you could have turned this question this way. You could have done this this way. I encourage that, and I think it's great. So things that are going on, um, things that are going on tomorrow, which I think are really cool. Uh, Tomorrow is uh, the third episode of the live Hook, Push, and Pray that the Dallas Opera is presenting. That's on Instagram Live at... uh, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. By the way, this is this, all of this online content stuff. Living in Europe has made me so insane. For I'm like I'm like okay if it's if it's one in Chernobyl and then it's it's eight here and there's it's a mess. It's a total mess. Like I'm a time zone mess. 
Um, but at 1 p.m. CST, which is 2 o'clock Eastern time or 11 o'clock uh, Western time, we will be going live with John Holiday. Uh, last week we had uh, Anthony Roth Costanza, which, by the way, you can go on the Hook, Push, and Pray website and see all of these episodes that have that were live, but now they're doc- um, now they're there in the archives to listen to. Um, and the live element has been really, really fun. You can do some really interesting stuff live, and it sort of adds an, a level of like intensity to the talk. So we go live with John Holiday, which is fantastic, at 8 p.m. An hour before that, so this is your Friday night lineup. Um, an hour before that, is that right? Uh, if it's six, no, two hours before that. At uh, so, oh, wait, wait, wait. yeah, yeah, two hours before that, 7 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. Um, uh, Central Time. Alex Fletcher, his entire artist roster is doing a recital. In conjunction with the Artist uh, Relief Tree, which is fantastic. Go send them money if you have any money to send. Like, I know it's tight right now, but they're doing great work. They're doing an awesome recital on Friday night. um, Sort of like a live recital that Freddie Ballantyne is hosting. And uh, Freddie, one of my best friends. Freddie's amazing. He's the best host in the world. Hostess with the mostest. So you'll enjoy that a lot. And... um, so make sure you tune into that tomorrow on Facebook. Um, you can find that at the Artist Relief Tree, or you can go to, uh, uh, I'm sure you can go to any of the pages of any of the roster of Alex Fletcher, and they are sharing it. I'm sharing it. You can find this. Just go on Facebook. You can find the recital. You can find anything. Go find it. It should be a really, really good time. Um, yeah, and I think that would be really cool. So it's sort of with that spirit of like the all Alex Fletcher roster recital um, that I put together this music, this little play-in music before our recital. Now, now, I think Alex would say this. When you're a manager, I don't think you're allowed to say who your favorite client is, right? It's sort of like, who's your favorite kid? Like, you can't, what are you going to do, right? And so uh, it's with that spirit that <laughs> I put every single active on his website roster I put every single person, uh, every single artist on his roster, I put them all together in the same 10-second clip right now. So it's going to be a cacophonous mess, but like I want to give them all equal time. (laughs) You can go on his his website and look at all the great artists he has, but I put them, I took a clip of all of their singing, all 30 of them or however many it is, and I put them all together and then made it at MP3, and then this is it. So enjoy this cacophonous mess, and more importantly, enjoy Alex Fletcher's interview. Uh, Alex, thank you for coming on. You were a really great man, and you're one of the ones doing it the right way in this business, which I really appreciate. Uh, love to you all. Stay quarantined. Stay isolated. Um, please reach out to me if there's anything that I can do. Um, I'm also teaching lessons now, so if any of you are interested in lessons, please reach out to me. And if you've made it this long into the 17-minute intro, which is about 18 minutes too long, um, thank you. And I uh, love you guys. See you on the other side. Can't wait. Uh, enjoy this interview with Alex. Peace. Is it rich? Is it resonant? Yeah, I gotta tell you, dude, you're singing. Like, <laughs> it's good in these videos. Like, I'm so, I am genuinely so impressed. Um, it's pretty funny. Like, I don't think I have any like musical like 
like aptitude like i like music theory and all that was like horrible like if i was a singer i'd be like one of those ones who like has to learn by recording and like is exposed constantly you know but right um i mean i you know i always like singing i'm just not that good at it you know (laughs) (laughs) hey listen i've been trying to record the lord's prayer for like eight hours today and i I have not done it well yet so i'm in your boat um would you mind just pushing record on yours too for like double yeah sure um, Where is that? Oh, okay, down got at the it. bottom, and you just push record, and it'll start recording automatically. Sweet. Got and then it. When we're done. It'll transfer it into audio only or okay. and video. Um, okay. And just make sure that mine worked, and then you can delete them so it doesn't take up room on your, on your, uh, on your. Are you on your laptop or are you on your computer? Or laptop. Laptop. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, look, man, what's up? Listen, I, you've listened to the show. You know how it is. Like, um, <laughs> this is our first one that we're doing virtually um which is first virtual yeah first virtual because and that's the reason i don't publish them a lot is because i feel like one-on-one is so important yeah um you know when you're in front of people you can just you can get them to say crazy shit um um, but no this one this one will be really really good uh i love that sub subway poster uh the, the, <laughs> the, the london tube map you know just oh just, is that uh, london oh you're so yes yeah, just establishing how international i am <laughs> what a star what a star um very very fascinating well man thanks for coming on it's gonna be a really good time um Absolutely. i'm just like a sea of white over here uh, you are you're white on white right now <laughs> God, damn, i'm so white good lord um it's begging for a virtual background for sure totally totally yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like yeah it's a green screen yeah every time i've been zooming people and it's like you're not in san francisco and even if you are you're not on the a bridge you know what i, mean? I know my yeah. colleague sarah has been using the best ones like uh, like an aisle of toilet paper and like you know, like all these prints and like the This Is Fine comic where it's like on fire behind her. Like yeah, yeah, she's yeah, yeah. Like the, the, the dumpster fire? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Golly, no doubt. Um, well, look, I, I sort of have in my notes here, like five minutes on Corona and get out of there. Um, <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I, I mean, obviously it's like, it's whatever, uh, a big elephant in the room. Like, of course, yeah. it's terrible. And like, um, you know, we could we could have a whole we could have a whole podcast series devoted uh, to how you know how we're going to move forward and what opera is going to look like if it you know obviously opera will maintain it's it's been right. everything right it's been four right. years of of people trying to make it stop um, but I mean what do you what do you think um, you know sort of what have you what do you think what if, what are some of the positive things uh, spin it that way that you've seen to sort of come out of uh, this crazy situation we're in. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing has just been seeing how people have been using their creativity, their natural performance ability um, in like adjacent ways, you know? So whether that's like putting out stuff that's still pretty much straight classical music, but like singing with somebody that they normally maybe wouldn't, or, you know, doing some kind of like fun partnership. Um, or maybe that's, you know, doing these at home series like you've done with LA Opera, or I've seen a bunch of people doing that kind of um, content. And I know that, you know, the people on the opera company side producing that stuff are also excited about the opportunity to kind of try some different things than what they're normally accustomed to in terms of producing. Um, and then just all the comedic, you know, stuff. I mean, there's so many people in this business that I know um, have great senses of humor and can use those. 
uh, in a time like this to give people a smile. So like just seeing people doing, you know, comedic stuff. I've been following, you know, Houston, not grand opera with Kyle and Alyssa sure. yeah. and, uh, and uh, Florida Tosca with Jen Rowley and all these other ones. So, I got I mean, such a kick out of uh, Houston, not Houston grand opera shared Houston grand. Not, <laughs> Houston, not grand opera. I was like, you like in what world, you know what I mean? It's like, um, and like you're like the king of the comedy. Are you kidding me? You guys are dressing like drag. You're singing Porti Miro. Like you're doing like the whole thing. It's incredible. Um, I think you know. Uh, uh, listen, I did a whole I did a whole big speech uh, uh, the other day, which is maybe uh, just screaming into the void. But oh, like, I loved it. I loved it. Like you know, I I think thank you. Uh, I was just fishing. Uh, no, I think um, I think for me it's like you know. I, my natural instinct, because I'm from the South and I was raised with the phrase, don't show your true colors in public, mm. like literally constantly. And the thing that made the thing, like I wasn't raised around like traditional art or artists, right? right. Great, amazing people, great, great family, um, but not that way. And, and when I sort of discovered art, I was like, man, I can be eccentric and weird. And like, I'm surrounded by all of that. And yep. people sort of understand that like, this isn't bullshit. This is just me and this is who I am. And like, uh, not like take it or leave it. Like I make room for people. I'm not a monster, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm a lot of a person. And so, um, you know, sort of what's been so great to see from the artist community is to see people rallying behind each other and not rolling their eyes and not like, like who knew Ed Nelson could belt so well? Like, right. you, know, you, you start to learn, you start to learn like, like I have like, Joel like low key just plays the piano. Uh, right. Uh, all these people like forget it. Erin Morley might as well be it. She could have a second career as a concert pianist. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you just you see all these people, and 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 for me, as an artist, and and you as well, like you manage them, so you know them even better than we know ourselves. Um, you know, you know BS when you read it immediately. And right. Sort of what I've seen from so much of the artist community is like it's not it's not hokey it's just honest no. and it's what yeah whatever you wake up with that day it's what goes out in the world and that's kind of yeah and, and, and to your point like i think you know the the path to opera is like very rarely or the path to classical music is very rarely like you grew up listening to recordings and were steeped in it and trained from the time you were five to be an opera singer it's like most people have all these diverse backgrounds and all these skills they've developed that they then bring into being a classical performer on stage or in the concert hall or whatever and so in a time like this we get to see all that other skill um put out in a more straightforward way and that's so awesome no i i, I completely agree and I, it's so funny because i think all of us are sort of thinking in the back of their head our heads like man i wish we would have taken that that uh requisite technology class in undergrad a little more right. seriously oh for sure for <laughs> like, sure and if i could just get a final cut pro tutorial <laughs> um all right so that's we're done with corona if we come back to it we come back to it but we start right. positive and great uh, it's the worst thing in the world. But what are we gonna do, yeah. um, dude? Do you do you know the first time you ever saw me? The first time you ever heard me sing? First time? I don't even know that we met. My, the first time I remember was Birmingham, Alabama, but I don't yeah. know if it was before that. Yes, you judged yeah. me. You, Scott Grisniak, and yeah. uh, and the general director at the time, David Jones. John Jones. Yeah, me, yeah. John Jones, and Scott Guzlick. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Uh, I finished third. Do you want to tell me why? Like, what could I have done? <laughs> You know what I remember about that? Shout out to John Jones. I'm pretty sure John Jones had you one 
on the list. And so yes. uh, even with that raw talent, you were already being established as the, as the winner at the country club. But, wow. uh, Dude, it's so a it's sexy got, country club. Oh, it's nice. It's yeah. nice. I, Scott and I both were like, I mean, how old were you at that point? Uh, I think it was 2013. Yeah. Uh, so I would have been first year, first year masters 20. Yeah. I would have been 22. Yeah. So, I mean, Scott and I were both like, this is a force. This is, you know, like this is yeah. everything, but like, you know, we were like, all right, we'll give him third. Like we'll temper it. We can't have the ego off the charts. You yeah, know, for which, sure. For sure. You didn't uh, like my like Alabama diffthongs in that Don Quixote. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a stop. Oh my God. Oh, no, but I, I vividly remember that. And I, you know, that's why it's been so fun to watch everything that's happened ever since then, because it's like, that's the funny thing for me being in my position is that, you know, sometimes I run into people like right at the beginning Right. And, you know, sometimes people, things happen, you don't really hear from the person again or whatever. And sometimes you like get to watch somebody on their journey from that point. And that's like one of the coolest things for me being in my position in the business. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fascinating. You get to sort of see, you, you see the, the sort of long-term victories and the long-term, you know, the people who fade out, they come and goes. And so like, so what was your path to becoming a, a manager? Because I, I think, I mean, listen, I love singing, don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm maybe more obsessed with the business as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because there's no reason that opera should work, right? There's no right. reason, like, let alone everyone says, oh, it's a miracle it happens. 80 people in the pit, one guy leading everybody, people doing David McVickard production, whatever. <laughs> but I actually think it's even more fascinating that it happens from the business side. Like, yeah. you get these crazy people who are willing to sign up to make, like, unless you are in the 1%, to make, like, not an amazing career, mm -hmm. money-wise, to do this crazy weird thing that causes so much stress, and we're away from our families constantly, and, like, it just is so, it's such a crazy business on the other side of the stage. Yeah. Uh, and that really fascinates me. So, like, how does, how does that, how do you get to that, how do you get to the other side of the table, as it were? Well, that, I mean, to me, that's one of the fascinating things is like, I feel like all of my colleagues, they all have a different path in terms of like how they became a manager. Like, you know, you, I mean, you can get like adjacent degrees in undergrad and masters for the management business part of classical music, but like really most of the people I know who are managers, they all have their individual path. Um, and so for me, um, you know, I really have loved singing from when I was young. I always sang in choirs and I always embraced that opportunity. And then when I was in college, um, I started taking voice lessons. At, I went to a small liberal arts school in Virginia called Mary Washington. Um, and I took voice lessons as an electorate. And that's where I started to get some opera arias and some classical pieces. Um, and my teacher, Jane Tavernier, was like, oh, you've got a great instrument. You should be pursuing this. You should go to conservatory. Um, and I really didn't, I didn't have that performance gene at all. Like I was struggling to even get up on the Monday afternoon, like recital with like 12 people there and like sing. So was that like, uh, was that like, uh, like stage fright or just not care to do it? Or like, what was, where did that, what was the genesis of that? I think it was like stage fright. I think it was like execution. I mean, like, you know, even now, like if you ask Joelle about us putting these Tostin Lane opera videos together, like I'm a basket of nerves beforehand. I'm like so stressed yeah. out. Um, well, you're in yeah, a dress and a wig. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's just for me, it's like, you know, translating like, 
being okay with like just doing it and it being what it is, which I think, you know, that's true for, for a lot of performers is like, you just have to let go um, and say, okay, that, this is what I could do in the moment. And now it's gone and it's out there. Um, but yeah, so I, in college, that was where I first like learned about opera and classical music and really loved it. And I had some great professors who really like, you know, championed that and said like, you should learn more about this. You should explore it. Um, and I had a friend named Carl Rosenthal who, uh, a lot of people in the business know he's an awesome guy, but he and I went to high school together and he has loved opera from the time he was like eight years old. And he got so stoked about the fact that I was interested and started giving me recordings and started telling me about how the business worked. I still don't even know how he knew about how the business worked, but he was like, you should get an internship. You should interview with managers. And he told me about everything. So um, that was like the management side of the world specifically. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, I did an internship with Washington Opera in the PR department in like uh, my junior year of college, which was 2006. And then 2007, uh, my spring of my senior year, I went up to New York and did interviews with a whole bunch of uh, managers. And the coolest thing was pretty much everybody that I wrote and said, I'm going to come up to New York. Can I talk to you? Were like, yeah, absolutely. Um, And so I had a ton of meetings. You know, I met with Matthew Epstein in his apartment for an hour and he like grilled me on my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. My my knowledge was so weak and he just like tore me apart, you know, in like two seconds on on my knowledge level, which was totally appropriate. No one's ever walked out of that apartment going like, nailed it. Let me just run. (laughs) Like, no one. (laughs) <laughs> no, and uh, yeah, and so you know, I met with a bunch of them, and and uh, and then Neil Funkhauser was looking for an assistant, and so we met and we corresponded over that summer after I graduated, and he was like, "Yeah, move up to New York in the fall. That's when we get busy. You know, start working for me." Um, and so I stopped, moved up to New York in October 2007, started working for Neil, and that was my entree into the business. Holy! And then two years later, you open your own. Yeah. So what happened in that situation? Oh, that's ballsy. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, like frankly, Neil and I, we had run our course. You know, like he, he. I'm so grateful to him, but we were like very different in our styles, and it was just that was the the end of a very intense, very productive two year run. But you know, we went our separate ways, and so at that point, I had a real decision to make about what I was going to do. Um, I also think you're at that you're at that crazy cusp, which I sort of missed. I sort of have been in opera since it became like really digitalized in terms of like email over phone call sort of thing. But like right. you were in that, you were in that sort of no man's land where it was. Oh, still, totally. Yeah. So like we were still, still faxing. We were still, we were still getting people's materials in the mail, you know, ah, in an no a cover letter. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's wow. so funny to see how that transition, how quickly that took place. But yeah, at the beginning in 2007, it was like, there was still faxing, there was still hard mail. Nobody was, DocuSign was like, nobody'd ever heard of it. You know, like everybody was mailing those contracts. So that was a lot of what I did was, you know, processing all that physical paper and, and all that. Oh my God, that's crazy. Listen, I'm such a millennial. I'm like, the mail? Paper? <laughs> For real. Copy disc? For real. <laughs> yeah, that's that's wild. And so did you see when you were there, did you sort of see, and, and uh, you know, you were talking about your relationship with him and how it had run his course. And you saw, did yeah. you think like, was he super old school in his approach? Um, and was that something that you wanted, saw that needed reform or I mean, I, you know, I think, I, I think he, Neil would trend that way a little bit, you know, um, 
I think, you know, I was so new to the business that it was like, I didn't necessarily even have a grasp of what was possible in terms of like moving things ahead. And then at the same time, you know, 2008 was when we hit the the recession. Um, and so that's crazy, you know, thinking back to how Neil and I would go down to like Baltimore Opera and see like, you know, some of like Siege of Corinth or like, you know, whatever, they would just be putting up whatever they wanted and people would attend in droves and it'd be great. And then you move a few years beyond that. And it's like, people had to be so much more careful about what they were producing and how. So um, that was a big time of transition in a few in a few different ways. But it was, I mean, working for Neil was an incredible opportunity. When I was working there on the roster, we had Brian Emel, Stephen Costello, Eileen Perez, all starting out their careers. Um, we had Elizabeth Futrell in her prime. And the, and the rest of the roster was an absolutely excellent boutique roster of singers. So it was like an ideal opportunity for me to start to start in the business. So, so are you just like, are you just devouring rep at this point and like yes. learning stuff? Like, are, yeah, that's, that's, wow, that's a huge learning curve. Yeah, and Neil was great with that because he had a huge recording, you know, collection and he would just hand me out CDs and be like, listen to this, listen to this, get to know this artist, you know, check out this artist. Um, and, and at that point, you know, I was going to the Met like three, four nights a week, either with Neil or just for standing room or whatever. And that, that was one of the biggest accelerations was just sure. learning all the rep and, and developing ears, which I mean, you have to have the, the ears somewhat naturally, but then you also have to develop like being in a theater and hearing someone and seeing someone and figuring out how all that factors in as well. Yeah, I think I think one of the most one of the most difficult jobs sort of uh, that that I that, these are all things that I think I don't know, but one of the most difficult jobs for an, a manager would be um, you know how how do sounds translate from from the room to the stage, and I think that like so often you'll hear somebody um you know in r.i.p nola but you would hear someone in nola <laughs> and they're just like cranking out in and it's huge and big and amazing and yeah. then three, two or three years down the road because i i am a super annoying and i keep a tab of all people that i've heard sing uh in an excel spreadsheet so there's yeah. just thousands of singers that i've heard so it's really like at the end of each performance i see i come home with the book i put them in my computer here's what i thought like two words and, uh, and so you'll often find that down the road when those people, uh, when those people, you know, you hear them live in a theater, you're like, oh my gosh, that's like a stretched Susanna. Like, that's totally. Right? Or the opposite, right? You hear someone like, I don't do well in small rooms. I sound like a wobbly, hole in the middle, grabby tongue, no breath under it singer. But <laughs> right. in like a theater, I'm okay. Right, right. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, totally. And I mean, you know, the, I think it's also the same thing as like, as singers, you know, when you all are, are with somebody in a room or on a stage or whatever, and right next to you, it sounds a certain way. And then, you know, you ask people who are out in the theater or something, and it sounds totally different. I mean, that's one of the weirdest parts of our of our business is like, you know, I mean, I've never been on a, on a TV or movie set, but I would imagine that like some of the energy you feel from someone when you're working with them or watching them on a set is what you then see on the screen. And in classical music, it's like a totally different thing. Like you can produce a sound that like up close is like, oh, that sounds like healthy, but like, I don't know how big that is. And then you go out to the theater and it's like right to the back wall, no problems, you know? Right. So, I mean, that's a, one of the most intriguing parts about, about this business. And that's something you're constantly learning. I mean, I'm like 12 years in the business now and I'm still, you know, sometimes surprised by the way the voices translate or how I might've misjudged something. Well, it's so, cause um, I, 
I, in, in, in that is in that spirit. Like I recently, we were in, I did Bohem in Dallas last year, uh, uh, Colina in Dallas. I only call the operas by the name of the character I'm doing it. So it's not Ana Bolena, it's Enrico. It's a great opera, you should look at it. Um, but we were doing, I was seeing Colina with Will Liverman, by the way, uh, yeah. who is the, uh, literally, I don't think he's doing Chenard anymore, but he's the best Chenard I've ever heard. In <laughs> um, it was, it's, what an unbelievable gifted, beautiful human anyways absolutely um, oh you're so god you're so lucky i would I, can i just manage him like hire me on account, <laughs> only manage him. right um no i i we were doing bohem together and we had the unique unbelievable privilege of having <laughs> of having sam raimi as our altidoro benoit which is outrageous yeah. and ridiculous and amazing and so all of these stories about sam raimi that you hear of, of colleagues of him it's like when you when you were in the room, it was like almost ugly. It was just like blade, just like buzzy, mm. buzzy, buzzy, tiny blade. Mm. Uh, then when the, you know in the theater, obviously it's amazing. And so yeah. I I got to witness that firsthand. Like when you're next to him, it literally just is like Meh, eh, <laughs> the whole time, like a trumpet. And then yeah. when you get in the hall, it blooms. Even it, even it's in his mid seventies. Yeah, uh, you know it's got a little bit of a shake or whatever, but like even sure. in his mid seventies, it's got this like all-encompassing, warm, huge thing. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's really cool. That was really cool to witness firsthand how it sort of translates from stage. Yeah, to, yeah, for sure. And that podcast episode that you did with him was awesome. I mean, I I learned so much from listening to that episode. I was so thankful that you guys did that. It was uh, immensely terrifying, and. Uh, <laughs> He had ne he didn't know what a podcast was, right? So I think <laughs> he didn't know what a podcast was at all. He never heard of one, and I was like, "Oh, it's this thing, and I'm gonna come over and set up in your apartment, and then we'll just like talk for an hour." But he thought it was like an interview, and like <laughs> I had a few talking points, like I have right here, just normal sort of like if we, you and I are gonna be fine. But with some people, you get a little off track. You go back, and uh, and I it had to turn into just like a question and answer thing, and I got so. <laughs> I got so overwhelmed because he was looking at me kindly, but he was sort of looking at me like, okay, what's next? Like, what's yep, the next question? For sure. And I'm like, right. oh no. Right. And, and, and to the point we were just talking about, about, you know, the way things have changed. I mean, I'm sure the majority of his career, it was just, you go sit with somebody and they answer, you know, they ask the questions you answer and, you know, this kind of free flow discussion that you can now record and make into a file and put on people's phones is like a totally different thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, it, it is, and you just don't, I just don't, it's sort of like, uh, you know, it's, you wonder how that happens. You wonder how someone doesn't stay on top of technology. Like I always say, like I, my question to Jen, uh, my wife is always like, are we ever going to be doing something with Maddie and be like, I don't know how to phone. Like, you know? <laughs> right. But the truth is, it's like, Dennis is six years older than me. You heard it here first. And yeah. she is, uh, she doesn't do Instagram almost at all. She yeah. like does, she's like, what's an inst? How do I insta? And I'm like, what do you mean? How do you? So like, that's <laughs> only six years. So yep. now, if you if you sort of parlay that and you stretch that over the difference in Sam Raimi and I's age is 45 years. Totally, that's crazy. So of totally. course, you know, looking back on it, I should have sort of maybe expected that. <laughs> I think I felt myself trusting myself a little bit too much. In that one. No, it still went well. It was still great. I uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, so, so you, that's a fascinating transition. So now you have your own agency. You're right. two and a half years removed from undergrad. 
Yeah, I mean, I was when I first started working for Neil, I was 22. And then I when I started the company, I was 24, which looking back, I mean, it's like really insane. And, um, you know, it was like, it was totally serendipitous, because it was in two years, I had met enough people and networked with enough people who thought I was good enough, that when when I was done with Neil and trying to figure out what to do, they were like, just start it yourself, just do it yourself. And I was like, I mean, that's the the opposite of the way that most people would approach something. And I had I had not thought one second about in a real way about starting my own company. I was working with a great roster. I was in a very, you know, like a, a, a roster that was growing and that was successful. Like I had not even thought about that. So I got very lucky that I had people who were willing to back me financially and I had artists who were willing to work with me like right who, from like the get-go. Who, who trusts a 24, like, you like who trusts a 24 year old with their career? I mean, that's amazing. I know. And I think back on that all the time, you know, because like some of the first people who started working with me were like Daniel Mobs and Mary Dunleavy and people who had been in the business like a really long time. And the fact that they were willing to roll the dice with me, I was like, I, was, I mean, you know, I was so in the midst of it that I couldn't even be like, you know, beyond, I was just grateful. And I was like, okay, let's go. But you know, the biggest things that I had from the beginning were like the enthusiasm, um, and the the interest and the drive you know because that's so much of it in this business is like you said it's a weird business and there's so many ups and downs like daily weekly monthly never mind what we're dealing with right now and like people lose their drive that's a big thing that happens in this business so for me like i was at that age and i am still like hungry energetic excited about it um and i think that made a difference to a lot of people and they could feel that like right off the bat i mean are you do you so uh, I'll put a pin in that question. I will say that mm -hmm. the, the great thing that's been, you know, Damon leaving was sad. Obviously, he like signed me when I was, you know, before that Opera Birmingham competition. I was already on yeah. his roster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like from, from, from just kid, he signed me and he, and, he, and he taught me so much and like helped me an immense amount. And so him calling me to tell me uh, last summer, it was very emotional. It was, oh, yeah. Super, it was super gnarly. Um, but what's, you know, I'm thrilled for Damon. Um, and what's been so interesting is that, uh, you know, I, after deciding to stay with Cammy and deciding to stay with, uh, with, with Nate, because I think Nate, Nathan is uh, Nate, his name's Nate. Uh, Nate is super talented and a go-getter and got a ton of hustle and he's got a great knowledge of the rep and all this stuff. But yeah. I'm also with Bill, which is right. very interesting to me because, um, you know, Bill, Bill, still makes phone calls and sometimes right. that's super important mm -hmm. and that is what has like been so fascinating because before i was with bill to be honest with you to be honest and i've told bill this yeah. uh, before i was with bill i was like oh that's an antiquated that's out no one's mm -hmm. doing that anymore that's stupid it's not because right. like I, I like he has he when he talks on the phone to alexander neef you know that's an important phone call and that relationship is so important and then you have sort of the pickle chaser that is Nate to come through and to be like, oh, let's clean up the details, let's blah, blah, blah. And so having them sort of as a one, listen, I miss Damon, no doubt about it. Like, don't yeah. mince my words, but having those two as a one-two punch has been really, really cool. Um, totally. And that's actually how it was with me and Neil, you know, because Neil was very much about the art of the phone call. And, you know, I would watch the way that he would jump on the phone with somebody and you, I mean, you can only do so much over email. You can't figure out it, you know, right. you, you can't influence a situation or figure things out the way you can if you're 
on the phone with someone in live live and uh, and that's what he would do he would call up these places and he would work these situations and then sometimes it would fall to me to be like great just following up on that phone chat or whatever but i mean um that the, i think my generation of managers we think all the time about the fact that like we're not um we're so email focused and like the this business is all about influence to some extent and like being on the phone you can influence people in a way you never would be able to over email well totally and i think like i think like you know i, I don't know just i agree with that i think that like it just all sort of depends on roster and clientele because like like you like you have singers, you have singers working at all levels, right. which I think is right. very fascinating. Uh, you have up and comers, you have established artists, you have the whole gamut. Like uh, you could cast a lot of operas with just your roster. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, someone, someone like Alan Green or John Luca, like, I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're like email heavy. You know what I mean? Right. And right. I think that they're more of like relationships. And so I think it just is like, yeah. And I, and I, and, and listen, for as much as I've heard about you, by the way, I should tell you this. I was going to tell you this to finish up, but now is a good time to tell you. Uh, when I don't remember if it was in 2000, I don't remember if it was in 2011 or 2015 uh, when I, I, I won the Met in 2015, but I made it the semifinals in 2011. Mm. Um, two years later, I would finish third place in Opera Birmingham competition. You'll know. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, we were sitting in the room and Jonathan friend came in and he was talking to us about managers. I believe it was 2015. And anyways, we were going on and on and we were like, do you need one of the big three back when, it, you know, it was the big three. And like, do you need, what do you need this in Europe and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, look, he's like, you can have a big name manager. Um, but sometimes that doesn't matter. And he said, but for like people starting out, like, sure, you can go with Ascanis and get lost or you can do this. He's like one of the most respected people in the business that I love working with that I, I absolutely trust and love his, all of his artists is Alex Fletcher. Mm. Um, and Jonathan Friend told that to like the whole group of us in this talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that, that there's something that you're doing that's, that's sweet, that's finding that sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, I from, mean, you know from, like, it's all about, all about the, personal the personal investment. investment. And um, it's all about, you know, betting on the people rather than, um, trying to achieve a certain optic with the roster and so i think for me like that's what has has um been my philosophy is like just uh trying to bet on people that i think are compelling vocally and as individuals um formers and like just trying to be true to that and like the times that i have strayed from that and picked people because i thought i should or i had to um or whatever the case might be a lot of times there's been, that's been a little bit of a wonkier process and so you know i just really try to invest in people that i really feel strongly about and believe in and i think that's also part of the reason that you see that my roster works at all different levels is because sometimes there are more factors at play than how much money is this person going to make or how fancy is this person going to get? Because again, this is, you know, this is my life too. Like, especially for me, you know, my wife's in the business, we have a daughter, like, um, you know, I, this is a super important thing to me, but um, it's also something I want to enjoy and something that I want to have, uh, find value in as well. So, so to that end, um, you know, how, how, how do you manage, how do you manage sort of uh, needing to be quote unquote 24 seven, like available at any moment, 
and and also because I have a daughter, I have a family, and in, yep. and I find myself often, especially with the time difference, which is insurmountable at times. Six hours can feel like fifteen. Oh, yeah. um, I, I'm sitting there, you know, at eleven o'clock at night after we've like watched our last show for the night, and like my wife and I just want to like hang out. Uh, you know, and enjoy the night, as it were. Mm -hmm. I'm like finding myself like look like looking at, like answering emails and uh, <laughs> fielding text, and uh, I've taken a phone call after midnight before. Like, um, how do you how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, how do you make your artists feel like they're being heard and they're being served, but also, you know, living your life outside of this business? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, like from the beginning, my thing was always like speed of speed of. Um, communication and trying to really understand like uh, what people are looking for or what they need in that moment. You know, sometimes um, you get an email and it's filled with pathos and emotion because this is a personal business. This is an emotional business. And you try to figure out like, what is this person really trying to communicate to me? What are they trying to tell me? And from the beginning, like I always had a pretty good feel on that. And so my philosophy has always been like, that during the time that I'm working, I'm extremely communicative with artists. I mean, I always try to have like a zero sum inbox at the end of the day. Like I would, I like to finish every day and not oh, have anything that's like- Oh, that's the most virtuous like, thing I've ever heard in my entire yeah, life. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, and it's like, that's always been like the guideline for like, how many artists can we represent? Like how much work can we do? I'm like, I wanna make sure that at the end of the day, there are exceptions of course, but like normally it's like the only thing left in my inbox is something that's like waiting on something or whatever. Like if it's just a piece of correspondence, like it's gotten answered that day. And so I think with that, like then you build that trust and you build that, um, that you know, safety net where the artists don't worry for the most part about whether I have their back or whether I'm available to them. Um, and then if there's a true emergency out, you know, outside of office hours, we handle that, of course, that's what we do. But like, right. if there's not a true emergency, I think my artists just kind of are like, yeah, it's the weekend, it's the evening. I know that first thing, the next work day, Alex is going to be back to me. And so I think that takes care of a lot of the, a lot of the issues. And so do you watch sort of like, especially when you take on, like you were saying, like Daniel Mobs or uh, uh, Dunleavy, like when you take on these sort of established artists, um, uh, or, or at least artists who are, who are transitioning to you who have sort of work already. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that they, do you find that they slowly but surely sort of like start to build trust in that and that like the email stop, you stop getting follow-ups to like, have you seen this? Like, I, I mean, surely you've, you've, you've sort of seen that you build your trust with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like, you know, the the part about like have you seen this or are you aware of this or whatever that i mean that part never really goes away because like you know uh, at the end of the day artists are giving us so much um they're handing so much over to us you know that's out of their control that it's like it's only reasonable that if there's a piece of information they think is going to be helpful to them they're going to let their manager know about it even if it's something that we're very likely to know so i mean that kind of stuff never goes away and of course like if i'm being honest occasionally like it's irritating to receive something that's like oh of course i know about this i've known about this for a long time whatever but i always remember and this too is like where it's helpful to be married to a singer you know i always try to remember that it's like they're giving up so much control to us in terms of like how things get done and so that's only natural yeah totally i mean i i, I mean I, I i certainly try my best 
to if I do send something to to Nathan um, or to Bill on a weekend or at a gross, disgusting hour, it's always with like, uh, it's always with like, I'm so sorry, but this is super vital. And I try to not do that so often. Um, but I mean, you're right. I mean, it is hard. Like, it's like, it's, it's a really gnarly thing to let someone like, you know, you know, if, if it's really hard for us as artists and just to hear it from some other person than your wife to confirm it, like I'll get it, I'll get a text from, from, uh, I'll get a text from Nate or a phone call from Bill either way. And they'll say, Hey, so-and-so this really amazing thing at so-and-so, so-and-so season. And you're just like, let's go like they have like turn it up sign the paper i expect a contract tomorrow like i'll dock you sign it from here um you know you need my blood uh so but like that's just not the way that it works and so i have to constantly the way that you say you have to remind yourself me as an artist and i think a lot of my friends feel this way as well like like if there is progress on a contract like if there is like you know if we we say so and so it's so and so in 2023 um, if there becomes progress on that, like we'll we'll be in the loop. Like I, right. you will loop me in. Like if right. is this next? You know, if it gets to the fee part, and you're like, this is what we've negotiated. What do you think? Like or whatever. And so um, I constantly remind myself. It's good to hear that you do, and I do too. So it, the checks and balances are in order. Um, <laughs> well, and two more things to say about that. You know, I mean, yeah. I think like the first thing is uh like i sit at my desk i sit in the theater like i'm sitting i'm you know i'm chilling like artists are rehearsing they're performing they're doing all this other stuff and so it's like they're gonna send that email to you when they remember the thing that they need to tell you and that might be like at 10 p.m that might be uh, like saturday at 1 p.m um and that kind of stuff it's like you know um like Yes. Uh, so, so that kind of stuff, it's totally understandable. And it's like, then for me too, I feel like part of where my, if I do have that little reaction of like, oh, like it's at night or it's on the weekend or whatever, part of that reaction for me too is like, on some level, I think I'm always aware that like, I am uh, a critical cog in the wheel of like this person's success. And this industry is so crazy um and so unstable for so many people um sure. that i feel like i take all of that stuff like every little bit that i can be doing so seriously and so i think a lot of it's on myself like when i see that email or whatever and i'm like oh, okay gotta be thinking about that what's what am i saying what am i thinking you know like that's on me too like being aware of like the, the role that i'm i'm playing so again those are things where like you know for years it's like i've had to kind of work that out with myself and joelle's always like kind of trying to talk to me about like you know the the part of it that i'm missing or whatever um and and again it all focuses down to the same thing which is like you know uh taking this all really seriously and really valuing these relationships and really investing in these people that's where it all comes back to Totally. And it's just that sort of idea of like, um, you know, it's just sort of that idea of like constantly uh, in my head, in my head, I'm constantly like adjusting the stakes. And, and I think a lot of us artists are doing that. We're like, okay, this is about two seasons from now. That's okay. Let that be, you know, the constantly sort of adjusting the stakes of the situation, you know, mm -hmm. obviously if, if I, you know, uh, right now, and by the time we produce this, I, we'll, we'll, Fingers crossed we won't, but we'll probably find out that like OTSL is canceled and I'm supposed yeah. to sing Blitz this season. Uh, right. It's not as of right now uh, for the record, but 
you know, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to sing Glitch this season with Pat Reset directing and Susanna Phillips, and, like, it's going to be this huge coming out party, and, like, right now that's super pertinent. So every four or five days, Nate will just write me and be like, still no word, uh, still learn your stuff, don't buy your plane flight yet, I don't think. Like, basically <laughs> just sort of just some, just some, like, just some honest correspondence about a huge thing that is uh, potentially, and again, right now, is, uh, all bets are off. Uh, but like those kind of things are, yeah, and, and having that trust in people is so good. Um, yeah. I, one of the things that fascinates me about your roster uh, the most is that, uh, first of all, you love baritones, which I love. <laughs> uh, uh, you love baritones, but, but more than that, um, you have an, a fascinating age difference. Mm. Um, you have, you have, you have, um, uh, old, I don't want to say older. Uh, what's another word? You have people who've been in the business for quite a long time who are really established and good singers. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> and then you have, uh, brand new ones. Um, and you have a, somewhere in between. And so I guess this is, this is, a, a, you were so appropriate for this question. The first part of the question is sort of like, what do you see in young singers? um that that real that you really light you up like what do you see and what can young singers do to put themselves in better positions um to be successful and then what do you see in established artists that keeps them established how do you get sort of re-engaged constantly and so we'll just sort of like riff off of those two sort of standing points yeah i mean you know like uh of course when i do like any talks or anything anything like that like the, the question is always like what are you looking for in singers like what are you looking for in artists and when you when you want to sign them and i mean you know for me it always comes back to like that individual that individuality that sense of like personal style and interpretation like that when I'm seeing this person perform, like I'm getting something that is like uniquely theirs. Um, and, you know, that can be developed for sure, but it's like, there has to be a personal ownership about that. And I've always veered away from artists where I can tell they're super polished, they're doing everything right, but everything is planned out. Everything is like predictable to an extent, especially if I've seen them do something like a couple of times. Um, I already know where they're going. There isn't like a whimsical, nature to it there isn't like an impromptu nature to it where they're like actually living it and breathing it and it's a little different every time so like that's part of what do i look think for the business is so sorry to interrupt you do you think that yeah. the business is facilitating those kind of artists i mean i i think like whims like like studied and polished get is largely going to get you into santa fe whimsical and big and just slinging it around might not like how do right. you split the difference yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to like what I said before about, you know, how for me, it's like, it's, it's all personal. And it's not about like choosing the person that I think is going to like go a certain place, because you're 100% right. It's like, you know, those I've oftentimes seen an artist that I'm not particularly excited about, but I respect what they do. And I see them hitting that trajectory. And that's like very understandable to me. And then I see other artists where it's a more circuitous path. Um, but if they have the goods and they have the gifts, like, um, it does build on itself. And I just personally find that like more fulfilling, like when it's like predictable that somebody's going to come out of the gate and like be checked off by a bunch of companies and like sing these certain roles at these certain places. I'm right. like, cool. That's awesome. I'm so happy for that person. But like for me, where I'm putting in this, this time and this personal investment with somebody, I'd rather see, like, see the more circuitous route that's like to me more interesting has like more development and yeah, like, like it's a more valuable in your head yeah 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, so with young that, singers, oh yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah, so with young singers, I mean, that's that's always what I'm looking for is like, you know, um, like a whether it's an earnestness or a vulnerability or whatever in the person's like artistic style. That's what I that's what I look to feel because I feel like audiences can feel that also. Um, and so if there are technical things or other things that aren't in line yet, like I will still follow somebody and still work with them and dialogue with them um, with like kind of the assumption that they can bring that other stuff along if I feel like the interpretive stuff and the energy is like on point from the beginning. Um, and of course we're talking about like someone whose bass instrument is good, right? Totally, I mean, there, totally. you, you agree that there is some, there has to be like a sort of, uh, not not that it's uh, objective by any means, but there is a sort of standard opera sound-ish thing you have to make. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, like that's been a hard lesson for me, like going through the business, because I used to um, not factor in like vocal uh, material as much. And I've, I've learned that um, if you want to sing at some of the the companies in the US and elsewhere that are of a certain size physically or budget wise or whatever, like they are very concerned with what the vocal material is. And so therefore I have to be. So like, that's something I've had to learn as I've gone along and I still kind of fight it on some level, but like it's become more of a priority for me. Like what is the base vocal material um, when I'm also considering the other stuff that I was just talking about. So, so I, that, that is, that is so fascinating. I, you know, I say this all the time, I, 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 even in the political realm, not that we're going to get political, but like my biggest frustration in the world is when people get mad at the wrong people, like mm -hmm. people get mad at, at, at sort of the wrong people. And so uh, for someone to say like, oh, this, this agent won't take me because I have a small voice, um, you know, I have a small voice and it's like, well, he, he's not, he's not discriminating you on you. It's like, you, you could argue whether, whether your voice is big enough you know, if you have a smaller size instrument, you could argue, hey, it is big enough to sing on the Met stage. Like, it's not supposed to blow you out. Like, you know, that's not the point of opera, right? You could argue that for sure, but like, it doesn't matter. It's still, that's how it is. And not that we should accept <laughs> sort of like how it is or how it isn't, but like your, your anger should not be at the level that it, it should be like three steps higher up the scale. Your anger right. should be at, uh, I'm not going to name people because I'd like to work at their companies, but your anger... <laughs> should be more in the like intendant general and you know your anger should be there not at this lower level where it's like oh santa fe won't accept me because my voice is small well kind of like I, you know like you still have to like there is no one wants to talk about art in this way and and i under, i get it i get it saying that there's any requisite in art is wrong um right. but like but like Picasso didn't start with crooked faces, you know, like there has to be that technique. There has to be that base level of like, you can put your chords together. You can do everything that's called for in the score and you can sustain it over a four hour opera. If you're singing Susanna, like yeah. there still has to be that base um, sort of level. And then we get to the point of like, wow, what does this person have to say? But it's mm -hmm. only until then. And so, it's with that sort of idea, like, do you find yourself, you know, Santa Fe House Audition, OTSL House Audition, Glimmerglass, you're sitting in there with every person in the world in America opera that matters mostly. Mm. Uh, general directors, and for people listening uh, that don't know this, like, 
you have these big house auditions at the end of the summer after you sung chorus all summer. <laughs> you're locally fried. You're just wasted. They happen at 1030 in the morning because it's the only time the stage is free. You're a disaster. It usually happens on your one-off day. Um, and you have to then sing one aria for the, all the most important people in the business with 40 of your other colleagues who are 40 of the best singers in the country in that age demographic. Mm -hmm. So like NBD, no pressure. So when you're sitting, Alex, in those, do you find yourself agreeing with a lot of your colleagues about artists or do you find yourself sort of varying and being like, how could you possibly? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mix, you know, like I think, um, uh, you, it's hard to always know like how people are what scale people are judging things on like what you just talked about you know it's hard to know like how much of those things people are factoring in when they're listening to somebody and so again it's like sometimes there's somebody where like the vocal materials of a certain level and they're like doing all the things right and you know and they sang everything one dynamic and people are like that was just glorious and i'm like you know it was it was it was what it was like i'm sure they're going to be good i'm sure they're cool whatever but if somebody comes in and they like are hitting diminuendos and and floating and like taking all these right. risks in the pressure right. situation that you just described like to me that's always the thing that's like oh i'm i'm paying attention i'm interested and like those are the people i'm normally going after and saying to my colleagues like oh didn't you think that was like really exciting how that person was taking risks and executing um or whatever the case might be so like I think that's that's the base answer to your question. But um, getting back to like what you were saying about the about you know your anger should be like a few levels higher. Like I think yeah. that's that's for me the one of the hardest things is like I of course want to like pick people um, you know and not think about what's this person's ceiling theoretically or whatever. But then I also am like you know my roster is 40 to 45 artists, give or take. We, you know, it's me, my, my colleague, Sarah Frazier, who's awesome and our part-time guy, Scott. And like, we need to make this business work. We need to make this sustainable, you know? So it's like, I, I, I have to have some of that in mind and I have to be influenced by how the decision-making happens in this world. And so it's always that, that counterbalance of like, you know, wanting to, to follow what I'm individually excited about and interested in and following what the industry is telling me I need to be aware of. That's, I, that is a great point. Uh, because like you could, sure. I mean, you could get the next Ian Bostridge, but they're not going to hire him in America. Mm -hmm. So like, then you have to make a really tough decision. I, that's, that's really interesting. Speaking of the Santa Fe auditions, I, I had that lesson pretty hard one time where I started, I started with that, uh, no, I sing Clag. I think no, I started with Don Quixote, and I come out and I just scream, and it's fine, it's good, uh, and uh, and I'm just, you know what I mean, just like you're welcome, Santa Fe. This, <laughs> rename the name. It's not Crosby Stage anymore. It's Brownlee Stage, and just really feeling myself. And uh, the next day, I was on the first day. The next day, Annie Rosen came out, mm -hmm. and she stood there in like a flowy dress like a flowy full length dress, like so far away from anything else on stage with almost no makeup with her glasses on mm -hmm. and in sandals. And she's saying, am I in your light? And I'll, it is one of the most touching performances still to this day I've ever seen in my life. And yep. it was, I was just, I was so upset after I saw her do it. And I thought like, Oh, fuck me. Okay. That's it. Like, Oh, now that's the art side of it. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lesson that Annie Rosen taught me. Uh, and boy, was that a hard pill to swallow. 
And props to Annie Rosen, because, you know, like, yeah. exactly, like, that's an artist that I think we both agree is, like, the height of individuality and interpretation and and class. And, like, you know, like, I think that's that's amazing that you, you observed that and you, like, took it in that way. Well, there was no way not to, because literally she yeah. walked out and everyone sat up on their seat, like, the first three minutes. <laughs> and then they Literally, people were trying to get closer to the stage <laughs> to her because they felt so much pathos for her. I mean, it was like really, uh, it was really gnarly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so it, the second part is like, how, what do you see? So, like, you're established singer now. I, you know, I'm sort of like, I'm out in the world. I'm doing my first round of engagements in America at the sort of like, you know, depending on on where I come in at. But I'm doing my first round of engagements at like the Virginia Opera sort of Tulsa opera like unfortunately there's not a ton of those companies left mm -hmm. um but like how do you I guess the question is how do you how do you maintain how do you continue to climb the ladder like what do you see in your artists who are continually like moving forward in their careers I mean I think part of it obviously is like you know being consistent in the quality of your performances um and then a huge part of it is like you to start off your career you have to be re-engaged so like if you work a bunch of places once and then nobody hires you back you're done like i mean it's very hard to come back from having a bunch of opportunities a bunch of exposure and that not parlaying into anything and so like what i see is that the the clients that do really well are the ones who companies enjoy them as a person and as an artist and that that it's easy to read that as that means that they're like likable and they don't make waves and that is not at all what I'm saying like there is a way to assert yourself and to be um, true to your individual values when you're working at a company um, and not just be a pushover and like take everything um, but to do it in a way that still draws respect from the company for you as like a person and an artist and that's what I always see is like the people that um, I don't know how, I honestly don't know if people work at developing that or if that's just sort of how they are or if they learn to feel out situations. But I find that when a company, you're there for a few weeks if you're doing an opera and the company comes away respecting you as a person and an artist, it's that then means that they're endeared to you and that means they're a lot more likely to invite you to come back. Um, so it's gotta be a quality of performance thing and also like how you assert yourself as an individual while you're there. And then those re-invitations are what leads to more exposure, word of mouth, getting hired other places, getting more exposure and continuing to build. Yeah, and, and I see that, I sort of see that in my colleagues um, who are so, um, they're so diplomatic for sure, like mm -hmm. no doubt, except they're, I am very like, like I, if someone asked me to sing upside down, like with an apple in my mouth, I'll do it. Like mm -hmm. honest to goodness, my diction is probably better with an apple in my mouth. <laughs> but like, if someone asked me to do literally anything, I can't fathom, I can't fathom saying, no, I will not sing that upstage. Mm -hmm. I can't fathom. And, and for, for me, that often leads me into feeling like in the room that I'm sort of the savior of the energy in the room. <laughs> and I find like, like, that's not my job. Like that's the director, right. that's the assistant director, that's stage management. And so I'm constantly like putting out fires, like maybe the young artist who's singing a smaller role is sort of getting into it with the lead tenor at a big company. And you're like, oh shit, I gotta put this fire out. Like I, this is on me, <laughs> I gotta put this fire out. I'm in between them, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly suited for that. Like, no, it's not me. And so I find myself and what I find in, in, in sort of established colleagues 
that I'm always so impressed by, like someone like Kevin Burdett. Um, he is so impressive at splitting that line between like professionalism and goofiness. Um, and like, he'll, he'll tell you like, no, I don't like that. Like we were doing, mm -hmm. uh, 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 poor mon, uh, I'm a daughter. We're doing <laughs> daughter and, uh, in Santa Fe, uh, with Anna Christie and him and, um, uh, Alex Schrader, great, great cast. Mm -hmm. And he had so many, he was doing Ned Canty and Ned's a pretty open director as it is, but like Ned was, uh, he and Ned were just talking and, and, and Kevin was very honest. He was like, oh, I don't like this. We should do, we, I think this dialogue would work. It wasn't sort of like, if I were in that position, I was covering him as Sul piece. So I was in the room every day. I was like, God, he's so gnarly. Like, why is he <laughs> making dialogue? It's the director's job. But, but like, I saw the way he sort of split that line. And that's what you're talking about. Like, where he still had his say-so. Um, but it didn't take anything away from him as a person. And it made you, it made you endeared to him in, even more because it was like, oh, this guy is so comfortable in his own skin that he can make these things and not be like ruthless in the monster. Um, and yeah. So and I love, I love that you brought him up because I think that's the perfect example of what I'm talking about. You know, it's like that, you know, that is exactly being yourself and like doing it in a way where it draws respect and engagement from the people that you're working with. And, and um, you know, to the broader point, like I think so much of being a, a, an individual in this business is about being yourself and being true to yourself and being consistent like when you're that way as an artist when you're that way as a manager when you're that way as pretty much any individual in this business like to a lot of people that reads very strongly and that's the kind of person that they want to be around so i mean i think that's an important point to make just overall yeah totally i mean it's 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 hard it's it's a super hard thing to do because yeah you're you're usually in a room with brand new people every six to eight weeks if you're lucky if you're exactly. that engaged um, and you're, you're you're constantly reading rooms and I, I talk about this all the time like it's basically what we're saying like reading the room is maybe the most important part of this business is sort of yep. knowing knowing what battles are yours knowing you know sort of the the ebbs and flows of all of it um, and and what I think is so fascinating about this business is that. Uh, in a single season, you can work at uh, Opera in the Heights, Atlanta Opera, and the Met, the way that it sort of all works, right? If you're covering at the Met or you're singing a small role or whatever. And so we, I, there's nothing quite, everyone likes to say that about the opera business. There's nothing quite like it. But in this way, I don't think there is anything like it. Like we're juggling between a uh, under a million dollar budget, a $9 million budget, and a $385 million, $400 million budget at yep. the Met. All of those companies have very different cultures and very different things. Like, like if I've worked at companies before where it's like, pick up that light and I just pick it up. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? I'm trying to help. You know what I mean? And like yep. help set up chairs for the gala afterwards. Like I've done that before. And I've also like sung at the Met where like, if you touch anything, they'll kill you. Because it's, <laughs> so it's hard on singers because we're really constantly having to reevaluate and turn on a dime um, in that way in room. So I find that I find that it, to be one of the most difficult parts of the business. Yeah, and I think I think um, I, I realized that we didn't exactly loop back to your question about like the more seasoned artist and like you yeah. know and all of that. And I think like it's it's good that you brought Kevin up because I think um, Kevin, Mary, you know, anybody in that category, it's like 
what the sense you get from them is like that they are at the peak of bringing that that professionalism, that mix that we're talking about, and like that they just do all these things in like a little way that let you know that they are so capable, they're so on it, um, and all, they have all this experience behind them that bleeds into their performances. And like I think that's why um, people want to want to continue to engage them. I mean, in Mary's case, it's like you know, even after decades, even after transitioning from being an international queen of the night singing everywhere and now going into the fuller lyric rep like she still has such a vocal command which I think is a huge part of it too but it's like you know you have to maintain that vocal that vocal quality and command and then also bringing all that experience and making it count for something when you're in the room when you're on stage when you're in the production process like I think those are the key elements of why more seasoned artists are, are looked to and brought back. But this business is hard for, for older artists, just like Hollywood is. I mean, ask any soprano who's in her 50s. It's like, it's a very hard business on people, uh, women particularly, as they age. Um, but I mean, we can't, you know, we can't beat around the bush about that. That's just the facts. Men, men kind of get celebrated as they get older in this business and, and women not so much. Yeah, no, I think, I think absolutely. And especially with this current trend uh, this current trend of of hiring young artists, at least in America, for everything, um, which which uh, I have both benefited from and been slapped in the face by. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. But I think like the difference between um, the difference between uh, Phil Corcorino singing your Alchador Benoit and a, and a twenty uh, four year old doing it is insurmountable. I mean, it's huge. Yep. It's it's one thing that I've learned. Um, one thing that I've learned uh, about that kind of stuff is that uh, Germany, because they make room for their older people, um, mm -hmm. because they you, know, you eventually become unfireable, even though it's hard to hard to get nowadays. But like the whole idea is there's room for you, and so you start to you know we have a, a couple of lyric tenors, we have some sopranos uh, and some mezzos here. Uh, basses are still singing bass stuff because we can sing it <laughs> forever, like you said. We age well, uh, but like these women and these men that, you know, we have an ex, we have an ex Hoffman who sang Hoffman here for like 200 performances. Who's been here mm -hmm. since like 84. And now he's doing Schlemiel. Right. It's the best, like all he's trying to do is outdo this Hoffman because he's <laughs> like, I did this already, bro. Like, <laughs> like he has such command of, of the character timing. And like Matthias, we have a, we have a, we have an impeccable spiel character tenor uh, who like stills every show that he's in. He stills it every show. Doesn't matter. And mm -hmm. and so you know, it, it vocally it is what it is. It's a good voice, but like he's so good with text. Um, and the in the room, the world has made room for him here because the way Germany is set up, that like it just makes such. It makes it. I, I can't stress this enough to the people listening. Like, and if we do have administrators listening, I know a couple do. Like. Spin, I know budgets are tight, but like spend that $2,500 extra a show or three grand um, because, you know, it makes such a difference. And, and yeah. having like an Alchi Dora Benoit, like Phil Corcorinos, who sung it all over the world a million times and he's just on it, like timing Definitely. everything, like no matter what happens on stage, like one day the Musetta like fell and he just like was there to catch her. Like it was mm -hmm. some miracle. You know, it just like like that. Those things make so much uh, difference, and so yeah, I, I I wish that we would make more room for those people um, because like you know, it just it, I don't know. It just makes a difference. It 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 does at least for me. 
um, on stage and being on stage now, because I've done it the American way with all the young people and I've done it now here with all the, the seasoned people. And uh, it just makes a difference. They look you in the eyes. They're not worried about the conductor who's going to yell at them after. Like, you know what I mean? And I hundred percent. And I don't feel, you know, listen, Marulo is one thing, right? Or whatever. But like, there are those roles, especially the aged ones where like, like, I don't know, it makes a difference. And listen, by the way, I will back, I will totally negate everything I just said. <laughs> LA, Opera, LA Opera let me sing Crespel. And, I, and, and Diana Demerel died in my arms. And she told me I was a good singer. <laughs> like, that's a huge moment for me that I still look yes. back on. Like, it's, I sang like shit today, but Diana Demerel told me six years ago that I was a star. <laughs> that was a huge opportunity for me. So I, I get it. But I, I yeah. think if we think about it more as like a case-by-case -case basis rather than an overarching um, sort of idea, it's better. So talk to me about Europe, man. What do you think about Europe? Like, I mean, I, you know, I love Europe because, you know, like we just talked about, it's like, there's a, the, there's a cultural approach there that is embedded, that's different. Um, you know, there's, uh, for better and worse, a financial approach that's different there. Um, and for the most part, not so much based on donations. I mean, things that, things that we all know, but I, I feel like um, when I attend performances, like particularly uh, Central Europe, I feel like when I attend performances, it's like, um it's so idiomatic and like natural like even if it's like Lohengrin or something in like a tiny theater in Antwerp with like the orchestra just sawing and like you know totally. crazy singers you know in this small space it's like on a Sunday afternoon and people are just acting like it's normal like they're just going to see like a sports event or something you know and yeah. um I love that like I, I feel like in America so often when we go to shows we're keenly aware of like who the donors are, who the money is, who's there for reasons other than loving the art form, which we need that in America. So like uh, applaud those people, not taking anything away. But um, in Europe, it's like, uh, you know, there's so much of a sense that the audience is there because they just love it and they're just steeped in it and it's part of who they are. And like that appreciation, um, I just, I always am so excited about when I go to performances. So do you, so for clients, I mean, you, you surely have clients who are working over here. How does, mm -hmm. how does sort of that work? Do you, do you, have you worked to establish yourself here or, or are you more in America? Um, how, how does that work? You know, I think like in the, in the earlier phases of my business, like I think I had more of an idea of being like a, a multi-continent uh, manager. And I think like as my life has come into focus in terms of like Joel's career and the importance that that has in our family life. And then Hazel and like wanting stability for Hazel and all our daughter. Um, yeah. You know, now I kind of see myself more as like an American based manager who focuses here and has reached to Europe um, to a certain extent. And like, I have some, there are some relationships with European houses that I really enjoy and that have been really vibrant. I've had a lot of singers singing Glyndebourne and X and, um yeah. you know some theaters in germany and like that's wonderful and there have been some clients that i've worked with like scott connor where he really you know went off to the races in europe and has sung a lot yeah. of places um and we've been able to manage that really nicely but especially in this phase of my career i feel like um i want to be realistic about like what my outlook is and so to that you know that end like um, I'm always, you know, hoping to partner, especially when it makes sense for a singer and like a singer has viability in Europe. I'm definitely looking to partner and, and, you know, there are some agencies in 
the UK and in Europe that I really enjoy and that I think we have like a lot of commonality in our approach and like if it's possible to work with them for a singer I feel like that's the best for everybody um, and so I love to do that whenever that's possible. So, so that that the, the, the partner thing is is fascinating because um, you know my, my wife uh, has two and mm -hmm. sort of partners and 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 I, I can't handle one. <laughs> I can't like, <laughs> I'm so overwhelmed every dead gum day. So like, <laughs> how do you, that must just take, I, cause I'm fascinated about that partnership. Like that must just take a lot of compromise and honesty and patience, uh, yep. right? I mean, God, I mean, goodness yep. gracious. Yeah, so, and a lot so, of communication between the agencies that the singer isn't responsible for. And I mean, to me, that's always the key of it. It's like if, if the, if the other partnering agency, we view things differently or we have different values, which like I've definitely been in those collaborations before, it's a lot more challenging because then like every step, every decision is requiring like input from the artist, like, you know, having to kind of make a case for different things. Like, but when the values are very similar and the people, you know, respect each other mutually, then so much of that can happen between the agencies, keep, still keeping the artists in the loop, but like, the burden isn't so much on them and that it's much easier to come in tandem and say, okay, we're looking at these things. We both feel this thing would be the way to go. What's your feeling is so much easier than if it takes on like a faux adversarial thing, which is the last thing you want when you have two groups that are supposed to be working on your behalf. I just think, yeah. So like, so, so if, you know, if, if, if the European, uh, I will just, we'll just use, uh, uh, Harrison Parrot for fun, just for fun, mm -hmm. just, just for fun. So like if Harrison is like, uh, if you, if they have a, if they have a color cover of Telleramund at Bayreuth, uh, at Bayreuth on the books, um, and then, and then the Met is like, oh crap, uh, we need an Enrico for two performances covered plus two, right? Mm -hmm. So like, that's very specific, but like, if that happens, then uh, you have the Met thing, they have the, they have the Bayreuth thing, but they're conflicting dates. Like, mm -hmm. just be on, are you just honest? Like, how, how, like, how do you, how, although that, even that faux scenario freaks me out. Like, how yeah. does that, how do you do that? Yeah, you're just honest, you know, and like, I mean, if you're doing this work the right way, like it can't be about like the commission, like, oh, I'm gonna lose this commission, you know? Um, it has to be about like, what are the artist's best interests, you know? And like, I've definitely had situations before where like someone was supposed to cover Falstaff at the Met and like had to give it up to go do something in Europe that was like clearly gonna be a more beneficial thing for them. And at that moment, you just have to say, look, the reason we're doing this whole thing is to advance this person's career. And this is clearly a thing that we need to do. Like, obviously, if you if you truly don't agree with the step that's being taken, you got to be honest about that. But like these partnerships always work the best when you have the artist's best interest in mind in terms of like what's going to help develop their career, because ultimately that's going to be a payoff for everybody. Right. And that's the thing that's going to help you the most. And that's what, you know, that's what I loved so much about um, so much about Cami is that I think this is open knowledge. I, I don't know if it's not, but their own salary. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of this idea that like, um, I don't even know, I'll, I'll ask them if that's okay to say, if not, I'll edit it out. But like, <laughs> I don't want to put their business out there. But as like, far as I know, all the big agencies, they're on salary, as far as I know. So I think it's kind of fair to say that like, that's the... That's the I think there's like I'm sure there's a bonus structure and all of that stuff. Right. I, I right. Goes beyond, but like, 
what was so great about having Damon and, and being on salary is that when he would say like, no, let's wait, I really believed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and listen, I, I'm not saying because you're not on the salary, you wouldn't think that, but it was kind of a nice shield of armor, sort of like, yeah. oh, telling me to wait. Like, and, and he really, there were some things that came up from the like 20, now we're just like saying yes to anything. We're happy to have work, but like, <laughs> no, that's not true. But like I, now, like I'm ready for the crazy crust stuff that comes in for the most part. Right. Um, but from like 25 to 28, those three years, there was some crazy stuff that came up and Damon would be like, uh, he got to the point where I was just like, look, unless, unless we're going to, unless it's like a done deal, don't tell me because I can't handle it. I couldn't handle all the, the yes, no, maybes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so he, he just wouldn't tell me. And then I would find out like, Oh, I was up for, uh, the Leporello dropped out at the last minute in Santa Fe. And I was up for it. Uh, it was between me and Kyle Kettleson. Like I told you on Facebook, like I shouldn't have had that gig. Like, <laughs> of course that shouldn't have been my gig. Like I was not ready for that at all. Like that mm-hmm. level at that moment. Um, I, I don't think I'd ever sung Reset before. Like, what the fuck <laughs> like so, so like, so like it is it's sort of in that way that it was nice um, to sort of always have someone who was honest and it continues that way. Too. Like, you know, I really feel like they have my back and I, and I think the same is true. And that's ultimately what matters to us as artists is like, I think that's true of every person on your roster that I've talked to. And I've talked to a lot of them because we run in the same circles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, it's like you, like Alex has our back. Like that's yeah. the thing you want um people to to feel like they do and and it feels like you do and so to that end like bravo like it's thank you yeah no and i and i think you're totally right and i think like what what makes what distinguishes the good managers are the ones where like you get that sense and you you know you get the sense that they would say no to something that was like a good mission because it's the right thing to do you know like um so I, you know, I always hope that we will have more of those managers coming in and coming up because, like, that's that's what I want to see. Yeah, totally. Um, well, man, I've kept you a little long, so I'm going to let you get out of here. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. It was super good to chat with you and uh, all the videos that you that your whole family is putting out at this point. Uh, you go, you're just running like a circus. Um, <laughs> all the videos you're putting out give me so much hope and so much inspiration and. You are, you are one of the ones in the business who I really look, look to as like a leader and a, a, someone who's going to move us forward. Um, and I appreciate that. And thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate that. And thanks for having me because truly like your energy, your enthusiasm, your passion, like every time I see it out on the internet, on your podcast, um, when you're performing, you know, I think that like you are doing so many of the things that like we need to keep this industry moving forward, like just having excitement about it being optimistic, being energetic and passionate. So like, thanks for doing that and for doing this podcast and and for letting me be a part of it. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. That's so, so kind. And I really appreciate you. Um, All right, man. All All right.